The views and opinions expressed by various contributors to 98.5 CKWR and its radio programs are their own and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of 98.5 CKWR Wired World, Inc., its broadcasters, staff, or volunteers. Listeners are urged to use their own discernment and draw their own conclusions. Good morning. My name is Rob Daniels and welcome to Visions and Sound. Now, for those that may be joining me for the very first time, Visions and Sound is a movie, TV, and video game soundtrack program that I produce each and every week right here on 98.5 CKWR. Well, here we are, show number 25 of 2023 and show number 1,183 if you're keeping track that way. Well, this week we conclude June, yes, conclude, with a look at the animated MTV show called on Flux. Now joining me this week is Tamara, also known as Madame Ravencroft, the Gothic Empress of Waterloo Region. Tamara, welcome to the show, first of all, and tell us a little bit about the dark side. Well, hello in the flesh, Mr. Daniels. Not that it's your flesh that I'm interested in, but what runs within your veins. Ooh, that delicious sanguinarian lifeblood. Yum, yum. Seriously, I'm a gal more into Cherry Pepsi and Dr. Pepper, as blood is very thick when it goes down the throat and can present a choking breathing hazard. Plus, it makes a bre- me break out in hives. Oh. oh, yes. About my show. Well, Rob, The Dark Side is a two-hour gothic, at its core, oriented music show found only on this station, where nowhere to be found I know of anywhere on mainstream radio in Canada. The Dark Side finds its home on mainstream terrestrial FM radio here on 98.5 CKWR between 3 and 5 each Saturday morning in the dead of night. Taking listeners into an expansive world of goth rock, dark wave, cold wave, post-punk, symphonic goth metal, pagan rock along with the neo-medieval and the darker side of new wave. If it's gothic in musical origin, it is likely to to appear and feature on the dark side. Plus, I'm always looking for some new blood, i.e. new musical talent to incorporate and give their fair chance for radio play as well. 
However, I will always feature non-God's music that has been kept in the dark for many years from radio play, hence the darker side of the dark side, in which music ignored by regular radio is music mined for treasure and rediscovered by moi, the Gothic vampire empress, music that deserves to be brought into the light and out of the darkness, but both for goth and non-goth alike. If it's unusual as well, it finds a place on the dark side with Madame Ravencroft. That nicely describes what the dark side radio show is about. All right. Well, I'll keep my neck covered during the entire show, just uh, just to make sure. And uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, I think we'll get along just fine. Hopefully. <laughs> well, we're talking about Aeon Flux this week. And Aeon Flux is an avant-garde science fiction adventure animated television series that aired on MTV from November 30th, 1991 until October 10th, 1995, with film, comic book, and video game adaptations following shortly thereafter. Now, it premiered as part of MTV's Liquid Television experimental animation show as a six-part series of shorts followed in 1992 by, a, by five individual shorts, short episodes, rather. In 1995, uh, an a season of often or of 10 rather half hour episodes aired as a standalone series now Aeon Flux was created by animator Peter Chung each episode plot each episode's plot has elements of social social science fiction biopunk allegory dystopian fiction spy fiction psychological drama postmodern visual and psychedelic imagery and gnostic symbolism Try to say that 10 times fast. Anyway, when I first saw the, sh- saw the show, I was in college and had never seen anything quite like it. The series, I believe, would be the template for future adult cartoons. Now, like I said, I first saw this on on my friend's satellite dish. This was mind-blowing. Uh, Tamara, when did you first see Aeon Flux? I believe I saw it at a friend's house when I was in Toronto. And they were tapping into a feed when it came to MTV. Right. And I saw the shorts that happened before we would know of what the series was. Right. I would be seeing the shorts. And I was saying, this is a interesting concept for a female-oriented protagonist and a world that was dystopian right at its, mm-hmm. at its foundation. And I said, wonder why we don't get it here in Canada. <laughs> Maybe I was unlucky at being at the wrong place at the wrong right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. But it was interesting, even though it is kind of out there, but it still has elements of hardcore science fiction mm-hmm. in much the way that you would see Zardoz right. or other animated um, science fiction coming from Japan. Yeah. Well, the thing, the thing about me, um, you know, being a 21-ish uh, young man was the, of course, the dominatrix fetish gear that she was wearing uh, as kind of a uh, her her battle armor, you'll say, and or I mean, lack of, or lack of exactly. Now, if you haven't seen this show, uh, just uh, Google a picture of Aeon Flux. You'll understand what we're talking about. And we're not talking about the the Charlize Theron movie. No, she wore a lot more in this. Aeon wears a lot less. We'll say a lot the, less in, in this case. Yeah, um, but like I said, it. Uh, I went on later to um, get the shorts on 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 VHS. 
So that tells you how long ago it was for the whole the, the, the whole thing for me. Now, again, watching those were just, like I said, mind-blowing. Didn't say a word. It was, in my opinion, the perfect way of portraying the, these these characters in shorts. Uh, in these in these short, like they were maybe what two three minutes long, if that. About that. Yeah. So they were really. I, I thought it was really cool. And um, yeah, later on, it just for me, it became kind of this. Um, I would call it a legendary series, because but it became one of those those television series that was on MTV. We didn't get it here in Canada, but we sure wish we did. It only took later until we got to see it, and usually it during late night. Exactly. Because if this was shown during the day, oh boy. Yeah. Well, didn't MTV, or sorry, uh, Much Music show it here in Canada? I Eventually they got think, the rights I to do something. I think they did, so, yeah. All right, well, um, of course this is a, a music show. Uh, so recently, Waxwork Records released a three-CD set of the complete music of Aeon Flux. Now, I had a great opportunity to interview composer Drew Newman about his contribution to the series. So just a little warning. There is some language in this interview that some may find objectionable. So just listener discretion advised. Trust me, folks, it's one word. That's all I'm saying. That's all That's all I'm saying. And it goes by so quickly, you may not even realize it. So here is Drew Newman talking about his contributions to Aeon Flux. All right, well, uh, let's start with uh, what is your musical background? Well, as a kid, I was in choir. I was around uh, a lot of music. My mom was a classically trained pianist, and we actually listened more to classical music in the house than um, than to pop stuff. I mean, my sister started um, bringing LPs of other stuff home, but, you know, my parents would buy things like, uh, you know, Ravel or Stravinsky or Debussy and, and all that stuff, so... My dad was actually into jazz, which was a weird little surprise. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) What is generally the first thing you do when beginning to write a score? Uh, It depends on the the process. Everything is different, you know. I mean, there are pre-scores and post-scores. And in the case of Eon Flux, I actually worked on the effect for the, the shorts. Worked on the effects first, got those out of the way, and then... The uh, music was a kind of a frantic scramble to get things done, but I had a solid light motif in my head for that. So kind of did variations of that. And then when we got to the half hour series, it's like, well, okay, it's long form. I've got to stretch these ideas out a bit and milk every note for what it's worth. Other things I've worked on, I don't know if you've ever seen Buzzbox. It was one of the, that was a, a whole different process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's something like 1,500 sounds in, 15, well, actually, I don't, is it 11 minutes? I don't know. Anyway, um, uh, so it really is like, you know, each process is custom tailored to whatever the, the, the picture is. And these days, I've been doing scoring for synth companies, which is a whole different process. Right. So I don't, I don't know if you've seen any of like the the launch of the Prophet Five, the reissue, and uh, the Oberheim OBX Eight, and the Take Five new software update, and the UDO Super Six. I did a four and a half minutes of music just kind of blind for that. Sometimes I just have a complete piece of music in my head. Uh, other times it's like uh, okay go go through set markers to picture and and see where it follow your nose see where it takes you so it's really 
different every time. Right. So how did you first become aware of Aeon Flux? Well, Peter Chung and I went to school together. Um, we went to CalArts, which is over on the other side of town here in Santa Clarita, California. I think he was in my, he would have been in my graduating class, but Disney hired him before he even graduated. Like, you're so utterly advanced, you really should just be working instead of spending your money here, you know, training on things. His student film was mind-boggling. I mean, if you look it up, it's just like my God, this is a pencil test by a 20 something, you know, it's crazy. The, it's like, um, this horse running around a circus ring muscles rippling. And this horrifying clown comes out and chops the horse in half with an ax and all of this in, you know, as the camera's spinning around it. Wow. And then it turns out it's a pantomime horse Two other guys get out of the horse. It's like, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but it was just kind of like the I'm messing with you. <laughs> Fast forward to 1991, I believe it was 91. Peter contacted me just out of the blue and said, uh, "Yeah, I'm doing this short for Liquid Television or this series of shorts, and I'd like you to work on it." And as we got into it, I was kind of looking at the picture and, "Hey, Peter, um, I, I guess I should probably coordinate with your sound effects guys because you know, I mean, this is going to be a lot of music, wall to wall music to you know." because it's pretty much a silent movie. So, oh no, you're doing everything. <laughs> I mean, cause I'd done that at CalArts, you know, I was, I, I had also been doing sound effect stuff and I worked on Beauty and the Beast for Disney and, and all that. So he's like, no, you're doing everything. It's like, okay, I'm just gonna be giving up on sleep for the duration. <laughs> um, and then it was a process of, oh, well, if I'm doing everything, I've got to gather things. I've got to go to a shooting range and get uh, gunshots and you know go out and do field recordings and um and then kind of a blend of those things sometimes you know found sounds for the the uh, soundtrack like the the guy wire hits and and all that for and uh like metal sounds for the percussion track especially in episode three of the shorts mm -hmm. where it shifts from starts off kind of orchestral then goes to a kind of weird processed watery noises for the buckets of blood and then kind of gets into okay, this is where it's going, a sort of cyber industrial kind of vibe. So, um, yeah, it was about, about that. And then, uh, the, of course, she died at the end of that first season. I thought, well, this is, that's great. This, is, this was really cool. It's over. And then he, he called me the next year and said, oh, we're doing more. I said, how? <laughs> well, she'll just die in every episode. <laughs> I was just going to say, um, so you started off with the sound effects, and you've mentioned a few methods of getting sound effects. So where generally do you get, do you draw your, like, are you carrying a, a, a recorder with you? I guess back in, in, in the 90s, it wouldn't have been a mini cassette or something like that. But, yeah, no, no, uh, it was a, a, oh. a digital audio tape. Okay. Uh, yeah, DAT tapes. Are you familiar with them? Or? Oh, very, very familiar. Okay. Yes. I, I, I wondered if it was before your time or... <laughs> nope. No, I'm 53, so I've uh, okay, I've, all right, yeah. So I, I've seen I've seen the evolution from I w when I first started in in broadcasting, I was cutting tape. So, okay, all right. So, um, so yeah, I know I know DATs, um, mini discs, uh, right up right up to well, I'm the uh, my my microphone is a is an H1 from Zoom. So 
Ah, okay. Right. So, yeah, so I'm very familiar with the digital recordings and that sort of thing. So are you, do you have one on you constantly and you're going, that's a great sound. Let's try it. Let's, let's record that and then try to reproduce it. Or are you just recording? No, uh, it's, it's been an, I would actually go on little sound safaris. Like I'm uh, for a film I worked on when I lived in France, I went just into the back country. It's like, you know, go find creaking gates and stuff like that at old churches. And sometimes it would just be like, going out looking for something specifically um and it's kind of been an evolution of the gear you know it, at first it was at the studio in france we had a, a, a one of the early sony portables which was you know this bulky chunky thing and then uh i had initially a little tiny sony one that sounded kind of crappy a little pinched and thin sounding and then i replaced that with a a panasonic eventually uh i got a sound devices uh, 702t which is spectacular sounding. It's just, mm -hmm. I've just left it out back during thunderstorms to get that ambience. And I've, I've taken that stuff and assembled it together for role-playing games, like, you know, just a rumbling ambience of, you know, thumber, thunderbirds, whatever, something like that. You know, lately I've been just using like a, an Olympus, a little tiny handheld thing for, uh, you know, hey, there are a lot of frogs down back because it's spring. I'm just going to leave this on the back bench out by the pool and, let it record for an hour, you know, so it's varied over the time, but uh, it's gotten a lot more convenient. No, I trust me. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I can, I can, I praise the day I got my first M audio um, digital recorder back in the, back in the early two thousands. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, it, it, it's fantastic. But uh, how, how far we've come. Uh, from... Oh yeah. I mean, just even turning in TV shows back in the day, it was, Okay, this is going to have to be played off from either this um, uh, DA88 or, God forbid, a DAT, uh, a DAT uh, or or DAT tape or something like that in real time. So, you know, here's a half hour show. You're just going to have to take a half hour to back that up, and and then we got into uh, putting out stuff on DVDs. <laughs> that helped. All right. So then, now switching to the the music part of it. Now you started with the the shorts, obviously. Yeah. Um, but then moving on to the the half hours. Okay, did you find uh, what what's more challenging, a short or a long form um, for for your music? I think the shorts were more challenging in a way because I was also doing, you know, like doing sampled voices, putting those on keyboards, like every little grunt, every little footstep of Eon and whoever else. And now, it, it, um, just just a just a little side note: is that you mumbling that newscast? is that you is that you that is me awesome okay that was that was a moment of panic when i looked at that when i got to that episode I was like oh crap there's lip flap and stuff and he's talking about something and i have to do something for this but it can't be any language because you know it's got to play anywhere so i thought right. it's got to be no language <laughs> when you're when you're writing the music for this animated feature back mm -hmm. then were you getting were you you weren't there, there was no really no such thing as animatics you were running you probably were you running from from sketches or or how did that work the thing was the layouts and the animatics and i did watch animatics beforehand it was so elaborate and so confusing it was it was really hard to get a feel for it the you know it wasn't really until color and animation were filled out that it was oh that's what's going on like that scene in the Heroes episode where there's a guy just skating down something and shooting both ways. Uh, 
in the animatic was just like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> this guy's skiing. <laughs> right. Okay. So when you're, okay, how do you choose your sound palette? Because Aeon Flux has a very unique sounding score. It's very, it's obviously very synth based, but where do you draw your, your, your sound palette from? Okay. So starting with the first short, um, we wanted to deceive the audience. Peter said he wanted something that was a little bit Raiders of the Lost Archie. And of course, being forgiving of the technology at the time, sampling was only at that point, maybe 12 years old, you know, between the Fairlight and, uh, you know, piles of cheap samplers from Insonic and all that stuff. It really was still in its infancy. So I, I did sort of a fake-ish thing with a leitmotif that introduced her theme, but and it was really the only thing we got any comments from MTV about is the, hey, you know, we're music television. Should this be more rock? And it's like, no, 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 trust us. This is going to completely change as it goes along. We're just going to deceive the audience into thinking, oh, here's the heroine. And, you know, there's this hero hero heroic music and all these just walls of bullets flying everywhere and all that. And then starting with the second one, I was introducing more processed sounds since there's just... You know, all you're seeing is buckets of blood and things from reversed perspective where she's running through and shooting people. And it turns out these people, have, they're already dying of, of a virus. It was like predicting the pandemic. Yeah. So in there, I was using a program called uh, TurboSynth. And uh, like I would take dribbling noises like um, flushing toilets or, um, you know, taking a container and just letting water dribble out of it and stuff like that and running it in TurboSynth. And in TurboSynth, you could take that and give it a pitch, you know, sort of a, a, a character that uh, sounds like a musical note. So it's sort of drifting very rapidly toward found sounds. Um, so by the third episode, it's like hardware percussion, big synth basses, and sort of, I guess you would call them evolving found ambient sounds or created sounds, like mm. drawing on cardboard tubes and putting a contact mic at the end of that. Um, Eventually, by the half-hour show, I was doing things like, you know, I would do a sample with a bow and a, a banjo, you know, just so I could get a nice uh, saltpeticello or uh, tremolo kind of effect um, to build tension. So there are a lot of uh, just kind of created sounds. Mm -hmm. uh, I was trying to, you know, set its own world. And the world is a little bit divided between Brenya and Monica. So the Monican side is a little bit more chaos and the... the uh, Brennian side, Brennia, Brennian, whatever, is a bit more like anal retentive European, you know, <laughs> it's supposed, you know, that's where the big operatic vocal samples are and the, you know, the really rigid, stiff sort of marchy kind of music. And then a little bit more chaos under Trevor Goodchild because he's kind of the benevolent dictator. He's not terribly benevolent but you know i noticed just just from the look behind you of all of the the, the gear that you've got behind you where now now um back back when you were first uh doing uh aeon flux what were you using um i had a casio fz1 that my my uh, friend loaned me to use for the duration a few uh insonic eps's eps 16 pluses uh, some Korg DSM-1 samplers, some Oberheim DPX ones, which were sort of format agnostic. They could load samples from other uh, manufacturer samplers and playback. So it was 
kind of see the pants, whatever I could get my hands on. Right. And then a pair of SE30 Macintoshes linked together so that I could get four tracks of audio. Four! Four <laughs> tracks, yes. Yeah. Now, was at the, at the time, was there ever a talk of getting this released as a soundtrack? Uh, I started getting that idea that I wanted to do something like that after we got done with the half-hour series. And it took 30 years to get permission. Okay. So... Mean, by, in 97, Gabor Chupo kind of went to bat for me and they said, yeah, okay, we'll allow it, but you can't use Eon Flux. So I said, okay, let's just call it iSpy. So it, it's at least hinting it for the people who are in the know, but it took until a few years ago to get actual permission to say that with that artwork. Right. <laughs> when you're choosing, like, like, let's say for example, or let's talk iSpy for a second. When you were choosing cues for that, uh, for that release, um, yeah. what was what was your what was the the thought behind your your process there? Well, it had to fit on two CDs. That was the first thing that uh, Gabor dictated because he was it was coming out on his label, Tone Casualties. Right. <laughs> you're, you're, can you hear the ocean right now? <laughs> I can. A little bit of purring. So yeah, he wanted things that had a more song like feel. So he re he. I would say more than requested, I insisted on me using also the music that uh, I had done with, uh, some of it was Gilles Civilato, who was in uh, Paris. That was for one of the three attempted video game things that never got released. Right. So, yeah, that was in there, you know, as kind of like filler, but it didn't feel to me as much like Eon Flux music. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was a lot of stuff was cut out. The entire episode of Chronophagia was missing from it. And that was actually the puzzle on the original release is the, you know, we'll be heard in another, you know, something because Chronophagia is about alternate realities and all that right. stuff. So right. when I got to the, uh, when I finally managed to wrestle the rights back from the orchard who were selling it illegally, uh, I did a, a, a lengthened release all of the music, you know, put all of the missing bits back into it. Right. So the stuff that's actually on the LP and on the CDs in theory is everything, including a few little uh, MTV promos that weren't released with the original thing. So, uh, and I Spy still contained those uh, bits from the video game. But when we got to the original soundtrack, it was like, eh, eh, let's just leave that stuff off. It's if people want it, they can buy the, the MP3s off my website. <laughs> Now, when you finally got the uh, the permission to release, now this is, I mean, you you mentioned what is not on there, but this is the entire uh, entire series that's on these wax. All the, yes, all the shorts and all of the half hour shows. Now, I do have to ask about the rights to using Danger Boy, because that was one that that actually the, uh, the the kind of speech that she talks over your music on. I was listening for it specifically, thinking, oh boy, they're gonna. If, if everything's on here, then that's got to be on there. Was that a completely separate thing or was it a rights issue or why is that? Is, is that? No, I just, I didn't want it on there. I didn't ah. like it when it first was in oh. there. You know, it seemed to me kind of counter to what she was doing. And so I intentionally made music that was, um, that played against it because okay. it seemed like just too easy and too stupid and culturally locked to make it a hip hop number. Also, if you listen to the, freeform dialogue that uh, Denise did for that it's not really very rhythmic it's right. 
there's no beat to follow or anything like that. So I just made it a, a, an aggressive bed, which is actually on the album, but yes. minus the dialogue. Right. I mean, I've, I've got those dialogue tracks here somewhere, but um, on a hard drive, but I, I just didn't want to do it. You know, we're in 2000, uh, 2023. What do you think, looking back at, at Aeon Flux, is what did you take away from that, uh, that series that you would either use today or you'd say, boy, I'm glad this has changed? Well, it's sampling certainly gotten a lot easier, right? right? If you've got contact on a decent machine, I have a fair light over in that end of the room and it has less memory than a greeting card and is it takes 500 watts and it's a huge block of a thing, you know? Right. Now it's like, yeah, okay, terabytes of samples, no problem and all that stuff. So, uh, the, I mean, the, the best takeaway from it was it was incredibly creatively satisfying and to be allowed to just do whatever the fuck I wanted to do for music was incredible. I mean, so many shows I've worked on, it's like, the, yeah, can you do a fake orchestra? I said, definitely not as well as a real orchestra. I'm sorry. It just, you know, I could throw $20,000 at libraries and you could still do better with hiring somebody out of Eastern Europe, you know, uh, with one of those recording groups and ensembles. And so, I mean, it was it was very freeing to be able to just say this is what it's going to be. There might be orchestral elements in it, but they're not going to be really in your face, or they'll be parodied in some way, you know, or processed. All right. So, so now were were did, were any live players used during the uh, during during Aeon? Not as two picture. I mean, I recorded a lot of live players, but they were kind of uh, edited down and made into sample groups like um there was a, a violinist i recorded at cal arts uh my friend jean-pierre bedoyen did some darbuka loops for me and all that um so i did record quite a few sessions sometimes uh avant-garde sort of experimental instruments things at artea in southern france and grass i mean some of that was just like well it was kind of seat of the pants recording uh, you know let's get what we can. It's noisy outside, whatever. And, you know, some of that stuff had to be edited down a lot and processed to make it fit and, and then looped in different ways, you know, back and forth looping and uh, layering on top of itself, chorusing, flanging, whatever else. But as far as like doing live sessions, following picture, no, it was all coming out of the keyboards. Right. So how did you originally deliver the music to, let's say the editor? Uh, or the you know whoever uh, the producers was it uh, like it, it's obviously not like I mean you didn't have the the option of of uh, of of sending it through a uh, like the internet like we do now but uh, how did so how did you deliver it to them them back back when you when you were doing Aeon I mixed to that tape and I would take those masters and hand them off in person okay so it wasn't like overnight, <laughs> overnight courier or anything like that. No, well, no. I mean, the stuff at, um, let's see, first season, we were kind of dealing with, I guess we had to have careered some of it. No, I was mixing straight to picture and we were doing laybacks down in Hollywood. So um, sometimes I would take the dat down and then we'd transfer it to a uh, digital video format and um, resync it. And it evolved a little bit during the, the series, but it was still pretty much just dat deliveries like screen music is maybe 35 minutes from my house. So it wasn't terrible to drive down there and say, right. okay, 
But as far as the, the syncing up process, the mastering process, at the time I would set up playlists in Studio Vision Pro. And so I would write all of the cues for an, an entire half hour episode, for example, and then just play them out in real time. So that's coming off basically live off the keyboards. Cool. So now how would a score that you write today differ from one that you wrote when you first started? Mm, I'm a maximalist. <laughs> I haven't stopped that. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I experiment a lot. I do. I, I don't. I've tried really hard to be a chameleon and be able to do different styles of music and, you know, explore different things instead of being buttonholed to one kind of thing. I guess the the approach is still pretty much the same. You know, using a computer to score things and sampling to build layers and I don't know. I mean, if, if somebody said, Hey, uh, we're doing more episodes of Eon Flux, I, I think I would find a way to make it sound still consistent with that. You know, <laughs> Aeon Flux, like I said, has, has recently been released. Where can we find it? Uh, well, Waxwork Records. I'm not sure what their retail outlets are, but I know there's, there's a website. <laughs> okay. That's where I got mine. You know, I haven't I haven't seen it like at Barnes and Noble or anything like that. So I'm not sure if they've been. I, I think they were going to do streaming with it as well, like mm -hmm. Spotify. And um, I've just kind of moved on. And, you know, I did my part, all the mastering and everything and right. wrote the booklet notes. And Peter did his artwork. And then it was because of the pandemic. I think it was about two years between when all of that was ready to go and when it got released. Right. Now, was it always uh, vinyl and CD? Well, I mean, the, the big desire on their part was to do vinyl. And our, our agreement was just like, yeah, fine, whatever. Do, uh, do all the release formats. I've personally avoided doing flack on my website, you know, because I didn't want to run into big legal hassles, especially, you know, competing with them in a way. Right. It's like, here's a different version of it. No, I'm not going to do like a higher resolution version of it. It's going to have that missing music from the video game if you want it you know but it's still it's 12 bucks so who cares you know <laughs> right so what does the future hold for you well i mean i've kind of pivoted a bit i the last show i worked on was bravest warriors and that went to canada and they told me i'm not canadian i grew up in michigan so it's nearly canadian <laughs> yeah, but uh, it went to neil parfit yeah um nelvana um bought up Frederator. And okay. so it was a fun show to work on. It was really, really cool. But um, it just their deal was they had to use a certain number of um, Canadian only employees. So music was out, you know. So I, I kind of pivoted to doing sound design and scoring for synthesizer companies. Okay. But I, I worked on the Profit 510 relaunch, the Oberheim OBX8 launch, uh, done a lot of work with Tom Oberheim. I pointing that way yes. uh consulted on that one which is the two voice pro hmm. and the oberheim well actually this one was released by sequential but it's the ob6 and then the demos for the udo super six and um there are a bunch of things in here the trigon six from sequential uh the profit x from sequential i contributed sounds to um the uh, Moog Ones and uh, worked on Animoog and Animoog Z for Moog. Um, I mean, just a bunch of that kind of stuff. And 1010 Audio, 
they make these really cool little, I think I'd actually use this if, if there was another Eon Flux. This is something I would use these days. This is a little granulation synthesizer and, and that's really? it. It fits in your pocket. It has piles and piles of samples on it that are my own custom stuff. And uh, it sort of, it's like you can take a, it's almost like a David Hockneying audio. You can take a static sample, throw it through the granulation engine, add a little bit of detuning and stereo spread, and it becomes something new. Wow. So it's like a, a way of taking those sort of ambient pads, like bubbling water, whatever, and turning them into something else that is new, lively, expressive, instead of just a static playback of a sample. So, and and who would who would that be for? Would that be in be industry or would that be more um, more anyone. commercial? Anyone? These okay. are yeah, these are three hundred ninety nine bucks. Wow. This one does wavetable synthesis, so it it you know you uh, can sweep through the wavetables and do these sort of evolving things. There's a lot of wavetable synthesis in the soundtrack for Eon Flux. Yeah. Um, which was the microwave one. I had two of those at the time. Uh, Waldorf Wave, which is this monstrous big thing how to describe it other than that and i've i've worked on the there's a current product called the third wave from groove synthesis i did a lot of wavetable development for that right so, and there are some fluxish sounds in that as well <laughs> well i really appreciate the time that you've given me today this has been quite enlightening and i uh, i will say this that aeon flux was the the soundtrack to my 20s because I was yeah. in, I was in college when Aeon Flux came on, and I was this is something different. What's going on here? And then the music was just <laughs> like was was incredible. I mean, we were I was watching it. Um, I, my friend had had a huge satellite dish. He was the only like we were. It was the only place where we could see Aeon. Where we could see Aeon Aeon Flux legally. I mean, it was like otherwise yeah. you'd be getting tapes and that 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 sort of thing. But but yeah, and when I the first time I watched it, it was just like wow. First of all, a it's mind blowing, and and b the 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 sound design and I mean I'm I'm in college and I and at the time I was doing broadcasting, so uh -huh. I was I was into sound design and I was into uh, into the, the the music thing and I was just like this this is this fits so perfectly with with the visuals and fits wonderfully with 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 the aesthetic that uh, that Peter was going for. So yeah, um, thank you. Peter really, uh, when we got to the half hour series, I think originally he intended it to be no dialogue. And, you know, I mean, MTV was incredibly, the producers at MTV were incredibly supportive of the whole thing. But I think when we got to the half hour show, they were like, no, there's gotta be dialogue. People can't just <laughs> watch visuals for a half hour. That's crazy, you know? Um, so uh, Peter's intention was to keep you know, not like a superhero thing where, oh, the voices are like this. It was, you know, incredibly understated all of the time. Yeah. And so that brought all the music down into this sort of low level as well. You know, I had to, I couldn't do really bright, brash things except when they were like action sequences. And some of those were like five seconds. <laughs> well, like I said, thank, thank you very much for uh for um the time that you give me today and the music to aeon flux it was like i said it, it i'm i am so glad like I, when, when i saw that it was it was being released i went finally <laughs> so, yeah so, i felt so. the same way it was like well it's been out there but people just didn't know it existed because i couldn't use the name yeah 
Well, thank you, Drew. Yeah, this was this was this was fantastic. So, That's appreciated. Thank you. All right. All right. Off we go. Off we go. Have a good night. Good night. Yeah, Drew was wonderful to speak to. So if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I am on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me on my website at visionsinsound.ca. I'm also on Good Pods, a downloadable app for your phone or other type devices. And you can find me on several other podcatchers, including the wonderful Apple Music as well. So welcome back to Visions and Sound. This week, this week, we are looking at the groundbreaking animated series Aeon Flux. So now before we get into discussing the series, let's have a listen to some of Drew's music uh, from the early shorts that set the sound for the series. So here's some of Drew Newman's music from Aeon Flux, the early shorts.
And with a little bit of music from the animated shorts these uh, of Aeon Flux, that's music by Drew Newman. Well, welcome back to Visions and Sound. As this week we are discussing, or we, we are uh, talking about the music of Aeon Flux. And joining me in the studio is Tamara Ravencroft, host of The, the Dark Side. So welcome back. And we're going to be discussing a little bit about some, some of the more interesting aspects of the show um, so first of all, we, yeah, first thing I, I have up is of course it's a dystopian settings. I mean, you, you don't, if you haven't seen the series, you can probably find some of it on, on YouTube, maybe even you know, pick it up, pick it up on DVD. It's actually not too expensive right now. And if you can find it, check it out. It is actually really worth having a, a quick look at. But yeah, the, the dystopian setting in 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 and of itself is is rather interesting. Tamara, what do you what do you think of the of the dystopian kind of feeling that the series has? Well, it's definitely interesting, but it's also it is it is a world that if this world was allowed to spin out of control, mm-hmm. Eon Flex would be kind of that result. Mm-hmm. I mean, from my point is it is encompassing depravity and sexual experimentation. As I said, if it spun out of control, that is how our society would have gone. Yeah. Allowing for the technology that is interwoven in that world, interesting, which interesting. we don't have. Yeah, interesting you mentioned that because there are some episodes where, well, of course, I go back to what Aeon is wearing. I mean, that is hard to, hard to, hard to ignore. Well, if you've got the eagle to wear that, you're going to go out there. It may not be very good in battle armor, and it may not be comfortable, but there are a lot of people, if they had an eagle and they felt comfortable wearing that, they're going to do so. Now, it's not going to be really good when it comes to protecting you from bullets and all that stuff no. or spears, but eagle does what eagle wants. Yeah, but one one of the things we did talk about when we actually were watching the series was what the guns were. They weren't. They weren't. The, the regular guns we were thinking they were kind of like maybe darts like yeah, mnemonic pneumo- darts yeah. powered by high powered possibly high powered uh, air right. in compressed air form that shot a dart that was probably able to be so aerodynamic that it would be able to fire quite well but I wonder what its distance would be precisely precisely but yeah even even in the, the series itself I mean yeah it, the 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 guns have this pneumatic sound to them as well. Yeah, I'm wondering what its impact would be. Whether it's kind of a form of a paralyzer, kind of a neural paralyzing, kind of a instantaneous reaction, or whether it was kind of a miniature kind of an explosion that once it penetrated the skin, it would just basically implode every cell within the body, causing it to die. Right. Now, one of the things that we kind of discussed, and and I kind of came to the conclusion. I think we both kind of came to the conclusion. Is that this an allegory? I mean, it, it 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 fits today, but there are some some interesting things that we had we kind of noticed about um, the, the two separate cultures, the different cities, and one of the things we came up with is I I think, and I think you you kind of sent me on this this thought idea experiment, experiment that 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 this was possibly well, how about you explain kind of the, uh, um, the the notion of it being a parallel to the two Koreas right now? Yeah, North Korea and South Korea. South Korea has all of its freedoms and all of its liberties that they could be able to explore. Mm-hmm. It's doing well for them, whereas North Korea 
It's the complete polar opposite right. in which uh, freedom is removed, liberties are removed, and mm-hmm. you basically worship one leader, Kim Jong-un, right. which would take the place of Trevor uh, Goodchild. Yeah. And, but the thing is, is that we were we were kind of thinking, well, you know, Peter Chung's Korean. So yes. is he is is he actually making a statement about where he's from or where, where his his parents were from? I think or so. his ancestors are from. I believe so. And in 1992, that would have been or in the 90s. Anyway, it wouldn't have been as uh, Korean was Korea wasn't even as prominent as it is now in the in the world's on the world stage. So it's kind of interesting that he would he would make those analysis. I mean, maybe we're completely out of our minds. I don't here. think so. I really don't think so. I think we are hitting close to the bullseye on this. Okay. Now, something else that we came that we we talked about as well is that there is a. Uh, sometimes it's unspoken, but sometimes there is a, a sexual tension between Aeon and Trevor. Now we came up with the with the idea: Does Trevor? And or do does Trevor love Aeon or does Aeon love Trevor? This is this is the this is the thing. And you came up with a very interesting uh, interesting uh, comment on that. I think they both need each other because they get off on the ego of the other, which powers their incessant need for them. Mm-hmm. You'd mentioned that they love the chase. They like the chase. So you, yeah, it's there's... part of catching the person, winning that prize, sell. Uh, basically throwing themselves into that prize and enjoying themselves right. with it. Now, the thing is, I remember one of the episodes where he actually, there's actually, um, a, he makes up a like a doppelganger of Aeon. Yeah, a clone. And yeah, and basically. Multiple uh, clones, if we're not mistaken. Exactly. But he he's, 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 he's kind of like, it's not the same. It's, you know. No, because it, it, it. You can clone a body that does not mean you do not clone their memories. You don't clone their involvements, their egos, their sexuality, their mm-hmm. compulsions. All that is is admitted because that is contained in the original unit you clone from. Right. So yeah. So there's a lot of concepts in the series that I find that we found very very interesting. And uh, if you have, like I said, if you haven't seen the series, check it out. Uh, definitely worth it. All right, well, we're going to get back to a little bit of the music, but before I say this, if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on Visions and Sound, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsandsound at gmail.com. You can try me online at facebook.com slash visionsandsound. I am on the Twitter at visionsandsound. You can also try me on my website, visionsandsound.ca, where the show will show up in about two hours' time, something like that. In any case... So we're going to play uh, now. Now there are two discs on the um, the DVD set that uh, that we watched the uh, the episodes on, and one of them is the Peter Chung episodes, and the other is Howard Baker episodes. So the first part of the, of this is we're going to play some music from two episodes of the Peter Chung episodes, and this is about uh, it's called and hopefully I'm getting this right Utopia and Durator. Uh, Duranotopia. Yeah, Duranotopia. And then the other episode is Thanatopia. Thanatopia. Okay. So, yeah, try to say that 10 times fast. In any case, so here's some music from those episodes. I'm not going to try it again uh, with music by Peter Newman. Or not, uh, Drew Newman. Sorry. Peter, uh, yeah, Drew Newman. Get it through my mind. Back in a bit. Actually, it's... 
Probably one of my favorite lines of the series, what does not kill us makes us stranger, is the uh, the kind of the ending statement that uh, Trevor Goodchild makes in that uh, in that episode. So, yeah, welcome back to Visions and Sound. We are listening to the music of Drew Newman on uh, with uh, with Aeon Flux here on the show. So if you're interested in any of the film, television, or video game music that I do play here on the show, by all means, you can contact me at, of course, visionsinsound at gmail.com. You can also try me online at facebook.com slash visionsinsound. I'm on the Twitter at visionsound. You can also try me on my website, visionsinsound.ca. So we're going to be talking briefly Um because time gets away from us on, on shows like this, we have to talk about the episode Demiurge. And we wa- when we were watching it, we we're both sitting there and we're watching the episode and we're like, what is this? It was so bizarre. I mean, I don't, like, I think you turned to me at one point and we're like, what is this? was kind of thing. So I, I, I mean, what were your thoughts on, on, on is it the Demi urge or whatever it was? It's a, it's, it's one of the first of the, uh, Howard Baker episodes that we were watching. Cause the first disc was the, uh, the uh, Peter Chang, Peter Chung. And these ones were the Howard Baker. So quite a, a, a shift in the, in the quality and of the and of the just the the animation style. So yeah, we were sitting there going, "What is this?" Thoughts. All I know is that I'm used to seeing Aeon Flux the first season. Yeah. Established the character, you established her personality, you established her psychology. Yep. When Demiurge came along, all that was tossed out the window. Yep. It's almost as if you were trying to make her like a little like a shadow of what she should be. The characterization was off. The animated flow was disjointed at times. And essentially, you'd be watching something, and all of a sudden they cut here disjointedly, and then it would be stuttering here when it came to the situation of yeah. her characterization with good good child. I'm saying, like, yeah. where are you going with this? I meant, you, you've established a character, and then you're deciding to say, we forgot how to write for her. <laughs> that That's how it seemed in those in those particularly in those early episodes. So what we're going to do is we're going to take uh, the the last few minutes before we wrap the show of uh, this particular episode, The Demi-Urge. The music's great, but the episode's like, cocaine is a bad drug. Ooh, so, bad. Yes, so we'll be back in a little bit to wrap the show.
one has to ask, what did we just watch? In any case, that's some music from the episode uh, Demiurge. Wow. Just wow. In any case, Aeon Flux would see incarnations, including a live-action movie loosely based upon the series starring Charlize Theron, preceded by a tie-in video game of the same name, based on mostly on the movie, but containing some elements of the original TV series. Well, that's all for us this week. Thanks for hanging in, those that did. As we continue into 2023, I hope as you're getting on with your day that you realize just how awesome you are. I've never let anybody tell you any different. If you're ever not feeling right, there are people out there that care about you and are willing to chat. If not family, then some professional who can help. As Rocky said, nobody hits harder than life. I know from personal experience how hard it is for me to sit behind this mic week after week when I feel like no one's listening. I would never have made it this far without the support of a huge team of people behind me. If you or someone you know is in crisis and needs help, Resources are available. In case of an emergency, please call 911. For immediate help, the Canadian Association for Suicide Prevention, Depression Hurts, Kids Help Phone at 1-800-668-6868 and 1-844-HERE-247 or here247.ca. All offer ways of getting help if you or someone you know may be suffering from mental health issues. So, Tamara, thank you for being on the show tonight. Your insight has been absolutely fantastic. I enjoyed myself here. What have we got coming up at 3 o'clock? On the dark side tonight, I continue a promise made to my late fake co-host, Eva, a.k.a. Evelyn, whom I've been watching over while she recovers from a recent attack by a faction, Dark She Banshee. Ooh. As we take in some night air, we're accompanied by a resident cantankerous fade cat, Gimli, who's had quite the day training with his life partner, Kielta, also a fade cat. As Evelyn and myself talk on the veranda of the Spectral Mansion, Gimli gets more and more agitated and aggravated over our presence disturbing him, which is an unusual for Gimli to act up, period. <laughs> However, Rob, I do like to mention something important for our listeners, which okay, they cool. might be interested in. What's up? I will be, and I believe you will be as well, attending mm-hmm. uh, attending the 98.5 CKWR booth in Victoria Park here in downtown Kitchener mm-hmm. today. That's the Multicultural Festival. Yes, the 56th annual KW Multicultural Festival. I'll be present both days, Saturday and Sunday, from 3 in the afternoon until 6 in the evening. I believe you will be as well. I should be down there as well. If you want to come down and join us, we invite you to do so. You will not only be seeing me and Rob, but a lot of other CKWR 98.5 personalities. From Coral Andrews, I believe Glenn Pelche will be there. Yep. And I'm not sure about uh, Fowler the Growler, but maybe he may <laughs> poke in and uh, show us where he's been. Exactly. Well, thank you for being on the show tonight, Tamara. It's always a pleasure to have you here. Join me next week as we kick off July with Alien Contact. I'll end off this week's show with some more music from Aeon Flux. I'll be back next week with more Visions in Sound. Have yourself a wonderful night. See you next week.